Hello, I'm your host, Gillian Semler. You're listening to Let's Talk, brought to you by Citilets and Arla Property Mart Scotland. Let's Talk is a dedicated property show for the world of property letting, investment, legislation, personal stories and much more. If you want to get in touch, just reach out. Let's Talk at citilets.co.uk. Today, my guest is former Dundee housing convener and housing justice campaigner, as well as co-host of the Scottish Housing News podcast, Jimmy Black. Morning, Jimmy. Good morning. Thank you for coming all the way from Dundee. Absolutely. It was a chilly morning, but um, it's great to be here. It's nice and sunny in Edinburgh. <laughs> but just as chilly in this, in this room. <laughs> Need your thermos on here. Well, listen, you've held various positions in housing, including 10 years as a councillor at Dundee City Council with four years as housing convener. So tell us, what led you to undertake that particular role and what exactly was involved and how it shaped your views on Scottish and local housing? It was a great opportunity to get my hands on some power. And the reason I wanted power was because of my experiences over the years. I started, the first time I got really involved in housing was as a student trying to help people who were struggling with private landlords in the, you know, in the rented sector in Glasgow. And things weren't as good then as they are now. I mean, things have clearly improved, but um, certainly there were, there were a lot of difficulties. In fact, my own first private flat was a bed and breakfast flat. And the theory was that because it was bed and breakfast, then they avoided rent act control and lots of security of mm-hmm. tenure and things like that. So breakfast was about a mile away, and uh, <laughs> I had to get there by half past eight, if I remember rightly. And uh, so I think I ate my breakfast about twice in all the, the months I was there. Um, so yes, I, mean, I, I was inspired by that, and I've worked for Shelter, and I've worked for various other organisations, like the Scottish Federation of Housing Associations. So I've seen it from a kind of a tenant advocacy side, and I've seen it from a landlord side as well. And I'm currently on the board of Angus Housing Association. So... Um, Yes, I, mean, I, I see the pressures on landlords, and but I also understand that tenants have to get a fair deal too. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Well, you've also been involved, as you mentioned, with, with housing associations. As you just said, with them, you work for Scottish Federation of Housing Association, where you were head of media information and marketing. And also, as you just mentioned, at Angus Housing Association. So can you elaborate on your time within these organisations and what role social housing plays as a tenure within the Scottish housing sector? Social housing is absolutely vital to the Scottish housing sector. Um, But of course, it's not just as simple as social housing, because again, council housing um, used to be the dominant tenure in Scotland. And... uh, I personally think that councils either got complacent or got political and kept their rents too low. That might seem surprising coming from someone like me, but I think if you charge rents that are too low, then your service will inevitably deteriorate and you'll suddenly find yourself saying no to tenants when they're saying they want a heating upgrade or they want something mended. Mm. Um, And that really had to change. And I think what housing associations did is they showed there there, were, there was a better way, that it was possible to provide you know, really good standards of service um, for a social rent if you did it properly. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think they've really shaken up the sector over the last 30, 40 years. And councils now uh, perform much better. Now, not all housing associations are great and not all councils are great. But um, that was certainly one of the things I tried to do at Dundee was raise the standard of the properties that we let 
In fact, I spent a lot of time trying to persuade officers that actually if we let a house in really good condition, then we might get it back in really good condition. And I'm hoping that, well, they, they saw Did that as an experiment. Yes, and how often yeah. do you find that is the case? I left before I got the statistics. <laughs> right, OK. But my impression is that, yes, that does work. And certainly Angus Housing Association takes that approach too. Mm -hmm. And um, generally, you know, the houses are returned in a reasonable condition. But you will always get houses in the social rented sector which are trashed and wrecked. Mm. But as a minority, yes. uh, you know, it's only some. Mm -hmm. The majority of tenants, I think, are prepared to pay a decent rent to get a decent accommodation in, in return. And what about the difference in regulations between housing associations and your kind of private, private lets? How, what would you say, because obviously in recent years we've seen so many changes in regulations for the, the private rented sector, which is great. Um, how would you say the regulations for housing associations for the property that they let compare? Housing associations are subject, and councils actually, are subject to massive regulation by the Scottish mm -hmm. Housing Regulator. It's gone from a period when you know, they, they actually were making up the rules as they went along, um, to, uh, to all the rules being in place and every dot having to be dotted and every comma have to be commaed. And it honestly, it's probably become quite burdensome and heavy so that a lot of staff are employed simply to ensure that housing associations uh, comply with the rules. Mm -hmm. There's so much reporting and the regulator can have a very heavy hand and can close down a housing association. Um, it has significant power. The private rented sector has certainly seen more regulation in recent years, but it's nothing in comparison to what the housing association sector and the council sector have now to deal with. And so I hope it doesn't go too far in the private rented sector, but I would like to see more regulation. And it's pretty clear that the Scottish Government uh, has plans mm -hmm. to regulate the private rented sector more tightly, yes. um, particularly in things like quality of accommodation, mm -hmm. standards of accommodation and, uh, and rents, uh, rent yeah. controls. We'll, tell what, we'll talk about that just a little bit later, mm -hmm. if that's okay, because let's focus on Dundee initially. As the city's economy, you know, it's seen its highs and lows from the closure of the, the Timex factory and, and you know, the, the city well, was, well, it was the centre for the building of the old MZX Spectrum computer and, and more recently now it's a national hub for the gaming industry again, which is great. So with the rise in this industry through Rockstar and, and others, um, and also with the city's waterfront developments, Dundee's economy has strengthened yet again. So how do you feel this has contributed to the increased demand for rented property in the city, which just now you know, is currently outstripping supply for all property types? Hmm. Private rented sector in Dundee has really burgeoned. I mean, it's now, I believe, 23% of all tenure in the city. That's very high. And my impression of the private rented sector in Dundee is that there's still a lot of lower quality lets in the city. And I know that because I'm involved in politics and I'll trudge up and down tenement stairs and put leaflets through doors. And in the area that I tend to do that in, the, the Hilltown area, uh, there's a lot of substandard accommodation um, which is in the private sector. So I think there's that. There's, I think the sector is swollen by the students from the two universities and uh, I think it's swollen by the fact that the council itself has demolished uh, hundreds, possibly thousands of houses um, over the last few years in getting rid of some of its multi-storey flats. 
And so the private rented sector, there is a quality private rented sector in Dundee as well. There's some very professional landlords, which Dundee City Council works with, and there's a number of really good initiatives that they've done together. But um, the private rented sector, I think, caters for a lot of people who live in poverty, uh, as well as others who are more prosperous. And it, it appears to me that it works better for people who have choices because they have enough money to make choices. And it doesn't work so well for people who have no money and are basically you know, taking the only accommodation they can find or afford. What you're saying about the burgeoning economy of the city, yes, that's happening. And as well as the universities and the V&A, of course, V&A Dundee, you have to come and visit yeah. if you mm -hmm. haven't already. Um, the Eden project is coming and that's going to be a fabulous boost to the city. Uh, people go to Cornwall and Devon and all these places to see the, the work of the Eden Project. Um, they're going to be coming to Dundee soon. Great. And it's going to really be a shot in the arm for the, for the city. So with the games industry, with all of these new developments, I think there's a bright future for Dundee. And I think also that makes the private sector very attractive. And I think investors will find it attractive mm -hmm. because the price of property in Dundee is still significantly lower than, for example, Edinburgh. So um, there's value for money to be had. Good time to buy um, for yields, absolutely. Well, Dundee has experienced double-digit rent increases during the latter half of 2021, with Dundee also being a future centre for the decommissioning of oil rigs. Do you think this will have significant influence on rental values in the city in the future? If the decommissioning actually happens, then mm -hmm. yes, it will. And certainly fourth ports are determined to make it happen. <coughs> um, they're also determined to make the assembly of wind turbines happen and repair maintenance of the, the big wind farms that are going to be off Angus, off the Angus coast. So yes, there's a lot, a lot happening and a lot of potential. And all of that will benefit the private rented sector. But I just can't get happy about rents going up by 10% when inflation is down at 2 or 3%. Um, what it's doing is it's, it's excluding people from the market. It's forcing people to use their benefit income to cover the rent, and that's really money that should be used for food and heating. And, you know, it's unsustainable. So I worry about that. I, I do recognise that Dundee's rents have not risen the way that Edinburgh's rents have risen over the last 10 years. Uh, but, you know, people need somewhere to live and incomes aren't rising the way that the rents are rising. So I'm worried about that. Right. Mm -hmm. Okay, well, let's talk briefly about the housing shortage. The Housing to 2040 document addresses supply and affordable houses in Scotland, and the government aims to build 100,000 new homes by 2031-32. Which tenures do you feel Dundee requires most and why? Well, I would say social rented housing. Private housing too, but um, social rented housing certainly, because there, there is a shortage of it. The housing needs and demands surveys that the government uses, I, I think are flawed. And when I was housing convener, I was faced with people coming to my surgery every day saying, look, we need a house. And then I was faced with the, the official figures, which said that Dundee really didn't have a huge um, housing shortage. And I couldn't ever tie those two things up. Mm -hmm. So um, my impression certainly is that more social rented housing is required and more social rented housing for families. And um, that's really important. We have a lot of small flats and we don't have enough flats for, for families. Mm -hmm. Three, four bedroom flats, for example, they're really in demand. So yeah, we need a lot of that. Okay. Um, but I also think we need mid-market rent housing. I see that Hillcrest Housing Association are building that. Mid-market rent serves a different part of the market. 
Um, you can be in and uh, say there are good private landlords and there are bad private landlords. You can be in a poor private rented flat and be stuck there and be seen as adequately housed and never get into a council house. Mid-market rent might give people on relatively low incomes the chance to escape from that and, um, and rent a really good well-run house in the mid-market sector. And I'm interested actually in the private sector building mid-market rent houses. I think the government want to encourage that. And I like the fact the government is encouraging build to rent in the private sector, because I think that way you might get really professional landlords coming in, giving a really good service and charging sensible rents and you know, providing a stable return for investors like pension funds. Yeah. And it takes you out of that whole problem with the private rented sector, which seems to be bedeviled by small landlords with one or two properties who really aren't in it on a professional basis, but are, you know, maybe trying to build up a pension fund for themselves. It's not the best way to do it. Um, or maybe they're trying to, um, they've just got another property that they need to do something with. And, uh, you know, I, I really want to see a much uh, the professionalisation of the private landlord sector. Yeah, this building of the MMR and, and, and BTR, built to rent units, is, is all large units, big, large scale buildings with, with be several hundred units at a time sometimes, maybe not so much in mid-market, but certainly mm -hmm. with built to rent. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I would like to see more of that. Mm -hmm. And um, it won't just work if it's great big ones. So I think we no. need to see that in, mm -hmm. in small communities as well, rural communities, um, as well as in the cities. Um, because if, if you do everything at scale, well, that you can only do that in the big cities, really. Yeah. So there, there must be a financial model that could allow that to happen in, in country villages. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, in order to reduce the need for affordable housing in Dundee, Shelter wants all political parties to commit to delivering the required level of social housing and wants to see the use of empty and vacant properties capitalised. So what are your thoughts on this? As I'm aware, you, you did argue the case for historic tenements in Blackness Road in Dundee being repaired and renovated rather than demolished and new homes being built. So, yeah, just let me know your thoughts more on, the, on this side of things. Yes, that was a wee campaign I ran and didn't particularly please my colleagues in the SNP administration of the council. <laughs> but um, I just felt it was such a huge waste to knock down those buildings. Uh, I'd been in the buildings, I'd seen the flats, and some of them were in poor repair, some of them were fine. But the buildings overall were in fair condition, according to the council's engineering reports, and they could have been renovated for less than uh, demolishing them and rebuilding them. And there's a green energy argument here as well. We're talking about COP26 and climate change and all the rest of it. Uh, it's very wasteful of energy to knock buildings down um, if you don't have to. Mm. And the other thing is well, there were tenants in there that had been there for decades, loved it, saw these as their homes, you know, handy for Nine Wells Hospital. built as well within mm. the... Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. It was a, a good community in, in Blackness Road. It's a very sought after area. And uh, not to renovate those houses, I think, was a huge mistake. Uh, however, they did it, and um, I hope they've learned from the process because I, I just think some of the information they got from officers was really severely misleading. Yeah, I think I, I did read that you commented about the, the consultation process or lack of consultation. Were you able to elaborate a bit more on that side of things? Yes, the private tenants really didn't get a say. Uh, the council tenants were bundled in with the, the owners of the building, all the different owners of all the flats, 
and um, that wasn't reported separately to the councillors. There was a lot of confusion over exactly who had voted for what, mm -hmm. and uh, the consultation process had to be rerun. And even with that, it still, in my view, wasn't at all wasn't done right. Um, so I just think the whole thing was a big mistake, uh, done maybe with the best of intentions by the, the elected members who were clearly worried that tenement, the stairwells in the tenements might collapse and there might mm -hmm. be danger to tenants. Um, I don't blame them for taking the decisions they did, but uh, in the end there was a huge there was a huge response to the campaign when a whole lot of people through social media expressed their support for keeping those buildings, um, but the council went ahead and demolished them anyway. Uh, I think they could have used their Scottish development funding, Scottish government development funding, to build new houses on other sites which they already owned um, before they started knocking down existing tenements in a popular area of the town. And generally I'm in favour of refurbishment rather than demolition. I didn't want to demolish the Multis and Derby Street, but that decision was really taken before I got there. Um, I did try and persuade the council to change their mind over those demolitions. I think we demolished too many houses too fast. We took people out of communities. Um, we took them away from the local shops. It affected the local businesses and we broke up communities. And it would have been much better in my view to have done the whole thing much more gradually um, and maybe kept those multis or alternatively replaced them um, without demolishing them and knocking everybody, sorry, replaced them without demolishing them and scattering all the tenants to the four winds. Uh, I have to say that the things they're building on the site of the Maltese uh, are good and nice new modern flats and uh, no objections to that. But several years have passed in between where that site's been lying empty. And now of course it's a construction site. So you know that the people have been out of those houses for quite a long time now and uh, the shops have suffered accordingly. Absolutely. Well, let's move on to issues surrounding Scottish Government support for tenants. Um, the 10 million tenant hardship loan fund closed for application on the 31st of December 2021, with the tenant grant fund still running till the end of March this year. So how do you evaluate the government's help so far and do you think the financial support for tenants should be increased or, and or extended past the current deadline? I do. I do think it should be extended past the current deadline. Uh, I think it's not reasonable to expect landlords not to evict tenants who are in serious rent arrears um, if there isn't any support for the tenants to keep them, keep them solvent. Uh, now, there is support through the discretionary housing payments system and the budget just at the end of the year. That included a fair, fairly large amount of money to, to cover those payments. But uh, the tenant hardship loan and the tenant hardship grant, I think, has been quite successful and has given an option to, to help landlords through that situation where they're having to try and do without some of the rent that their tenants are supposed to be paying. And of course, with COVID and with the various difficulties, it's hard for the tenants to pay rent in some circumstances, particularly if their jobs are affected or if they've lost their jobs. And plenty of people in the hospitality and catering industry will mm -hmm. be in that position. Mm -hmm. So yeah, I think I think that money should continue. Uh, but also importantly, there should be a lot of effort made 
to ensure that people know what they are entitled to. Absolutely, definitely. Yep. Mm -hmm. It's so complicated. Mm -hmm. um, when you're in a crisis, you don't necessarily know before you get into that crisis uh, all the things that are available to help you, all the advice agencies, all the benefits and so on. Um, so, yeah, it's really important that councils and the government put money into providing advice mm -hmm. to ensure that people know what they're entitled to. Okay. And that, that'll be good for landlords Absolutely. as well as for, for the tenants. Well, in June last year, the Scottish Government announced that the temporary COVID legislation for notice to leave period would remain um, at six months or three months, depending on the ground, until March this year, with the view to extend until September. So, do you believe the notice period should be extended to September? And in your view, how could the potential extension affect landlords? I do think it should be extended. And I think that might well affect landlords quite badly. I think the cost of homelessness to the public person, to individuals, is worse. So there's no good answer to this question, really. I just think that has to happen. Uh, having said that, there are things that local councils can do to work with landlords to try and ensure that arrears don't massively build up. For example, there's no reason why a council couldn't rehouse a tenant um, before the crisis hits and it's necessary to evict them. Uh, you know, let, let's look at the way that we handle these situations and see if there's a way that we can, we can get people out of trouble and into secure social rented accommodation, which they might be able to afford. Um, they might be in a, an expensive private rented property, which they could afford when they took it on, but can no longer afford because they've lost their job in the hospitality industry or, or whatever. So, yes, I think there are, there are ways that um, public services and landlords can work together to mitigate this. But, yes, I do think it should be extended. Mm -hmm. Should be more working together. Yeah. Yep. Okay. Well, following the new power sharing partnership between SNP and the Scottish Greens, where a new deal for tenants has been proposed with the intention of providing greater security for tenants, improving standards, and regulating rents, one of the proposals includes a more effective system of national rent controls. Now, this has been criticised by many, including Arla, who believe that Scotland need proper enforcement of existing rules and also additional supply and more social housing instead. Is this something you would agree with? Yes, although we haven't seen the exact proposals yet. Um, they're still to come and there's going to be a long consultation process. And I think it's important that landlords, tenants and everyone else put their views in. Uh, however, if rents are rising by 10% in Dundee, then the current system is not working. It can't be. Uh, rent pressure zones, none have ever been declared, and none ever will be because it doesn't work. It doesn't look as though it's going to work. So, and I think are, the government's acknowledged that themselves, haven't they? I, I think so. I think that's really one of the reasons why they're looking at this, at changing the system. So we, we need to look at a way of trying to keep rents Landlords need to make money, you know, they're, they're in it for profit, and that's absolutely legitimate. Uh, they also need to provide good service and good value, and that's what tenants need to get. They need to have affordable rents. Not affordable in the technical sense that we use that word now, but just rents that you can afford, whatever your income is, whatever your place in the market is. So that if rents are zooming up by 10% a year in Dundee, you know, that's really, as I said, unsustainable. It's going the wrong way. So we need an effective system of rent control. Uh, we used to have that with the fair rent system long ago. Uh, the landlords hated it, and uh, yes, it was abolished. I remember being part of the shelter team that lobbied against the abolition of the fair rent system. 
I think it would have been good if that could have been developed and refined so that it actually worked and met everybody's needs. One of the things the government is proposing is that uh, landlords might find their rent being reduced if a tenant appeals. They also might find their rent being increased and the Scottish Government is planning to put a stop to that so that tenants won't have to face the risk of having their rent increased if they appeal against what they feel is a higher rent. I imagine that landlords might think that's unfair. And so, you know, there's, a, there's quite a lot of discussion and de debate to be had um, to try and get this new system correct. But we need the new system. If you look at the rents in Edinburgh for a, a single, you know, a single bedroom flat or a two bedroom flat, they're phenomenal. And people in normal incomes can't afford to pay them. So, yeah, people are, are going through hardship to try and meet these rents. And people are having to live outside the city or commute in um, to do basic jobs, again, in the hospitality industry or at basic level. Uh, you know, this is a kind of, we're, we're driving communities apart. Uh, so we really need to get a handle on this. Um, yes, it's right that landlords should be able to make a reasonable profit on their activities, but it's also really, really important to society as a whole that everybody can afford a home. Okay, well, let's chat about kind of short-term lets briefly. The Scottish Government has introduced new legislation which will require all local councils to establish a short-term let licensing scheme by October this year, with all short-term lets li to be licensed by July 2024. Do you believe that this legislation will be effective in helping increase the supply in the PRS, as well as reducing antisocial behaviour within housing communities? Yes, yes I do, and I think it will also help increase housing supply in general. Short-term lets, the Airbnb phenomenon and all of that in tourist areas has been quite damaging for the local population. It may be that people are, you know, it's, it's part of the tourism business and that's important, but uh, people do need somewhere to live. And so it's wrong that people are living in caravans or living in short-term lets or in overcrowded conditions because um, of the Airbnb phenomenon. It's not just the Airbnb, it's short-term lets in general. The other thing about short-term lets is that there's a danger that landlords will try and use them as a way of avoiding the new private rented tenancy that we have. And so it's really important to get this right. Um, it should be possible to do short-term lets, you know, service departments, um, a month or two when theatre people are coming to Edinburgh for the festival, uh, whatever. There must be a way of doing this and getting it right, but not being abused by landlords who are just basically trying to avoid their obligations. Uh, so, yes, I, I think it's really important to bring this in, but it's also really important to get it right. And I do hope the Scottish Government will listen to the concerns of landlords. OK, well, let's chat a bit about yourself now out with housing. Because in the 90s you were a freelance radio broadcaster and you were working mostly for BBC Radio Scotland, I believe. So, any outstanding memories or stories from that time? Yes, I used to work on a programme called Lawful Business and... Uh, that, that was good fun. It was really quite in-depth. Um, but more interestingly, uh, I would get sent out to do interesting, colourful pieces about things that went on in Scotland. And uh, certainly once I remember wandering around a crypt in Edinburgh with a homeless man who was showing me where he was sleeping. And I was thinking, you know, it's the middle of the night, it's three in the morning, I've got all this expensive equipment on to make the radio programme and, uh, you know, I'm with this guy I've never seen before and uh, what am I doing? <laughs> and I had similar feelings when actually the, that man was so helpful and explained oh, such a lot to me. Um, and I was quite shocked, even though I had a background in homelessness, I was quite shocked at the conditions he was living in. Yeah. But the other story, I think, that I remember was the Gull Men of Arbroath, 
um, the two men who went up on all the roofs in our broth and collected the gulls' eggs, um, they didn't seem to have any kind of bag. What they did was they tucked them into their jumpers and <laughs> wandered about away these roofs. Go, uh -huh. And I followed them about with my microphone again. I was thinking, why am I up on this roof? <laughs> But um, they made for good radio. I seem to remember they had a happy song that they used to sing to each other. I forget the words now. And uh, they gathered all these eggs and, and broke them and oh kept my. the gull population down that way. So um, I got sent off to do lots of interesting things. And that was one of them. Well, also, um, you're a piper. Yes. Aren't you? And you were former chair of Dundee City Pipe Band and Youth Music Initiative, where you were involved in helping young people to create Scottish contemporary traditional music. So tell us a bit more about this initiative. Yeah, it's a great, it's a great initiative. It's a, the only inclusive pipe band in the world. So that people who are disabled or elderly or just they have mental health issues, or people of all, all, all sorts are able to play in that band and march up and down the street. And if they can't march, what they do is they wait till we get to the end and then we join them and they join us. Um, so we've got a, a, a piper in a wheelchair. Mm -hmm. um, we've also got um, people who can't walk very well and say some quite, quite old people. Um, I'm one of the older people, but uh, I've, I'm no longer the chair of that. Um, but I'm glad to say that it's uh, in good financial health. I left it thriving and I still play with the band and uh, I, I wish it the best. Brilliant. Oh, listen, it's been great having you on. Thank you so much. It's been a pleasure. Thank you for having me. I'm Gillian Semler. Thanks for listening. If you've enjoyed the show, don't forget to subscribe to the Let's Talk channel on all the usual platforms, including Spotify, iTunes and SoundCloud, as well as on citylets.co.uk forward slash podcasts. And also let your friends know where to find us. Let's Talk is a dedicated property show providing insight into the world of property letting. More information on today's show can always be found on our show notes along with this podcast. If you want to get in touch, just reach out. Let's talk at citylets.co.uk. Thank you.